0: Let's just break it. Let's trash this place. I want you to say this with me: Love is the movement. I want you to say this: Love came down. I want you to say this with me: Love crucified, arose. Our greatest need, all right. Our greatest problem, and your greatest, the greatest problem that you have is not mankind has is not our circumstances. know if my circumstances were just different our greatest problem is not our height it's not our weight you're like what it's not your family it's not your job our greatest problem is our separation from the Lord that's mankind's greatest problem Ephesians saying this having their understanding darkened being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them and because of the blindness that's in their heart people without Christ are blind within their heart their understanding is darkened, and everybody say this with me, they are alienated, which means foreign. People without Christ are foreign. The life of God is foreign to them. And typically, when any, any type of message that's ever taught, there's usually two audiences that the message needs to address. It needs to address the unbeliever, and it needs to address the believer. So to the unbeliever, the alienation and the lostness and the issue is not knowing that they're lost. Most people don't know they're lost. They just don't. Most people, if you ask them, I'm okay, everything's fine, and we build a a system around ourselves, we build um, sort of edifices around ourselves to silence the noise, in particular the noise of the conscience. Mankind and men and women are basically trying to silence a noise within their conscience that tells them that they're not right. That's why the message of the gospel is so powerful Because it pierces, the Bible says, soul and spirit, divides bone from marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart, the word of God, but the message of the gospel in particular. I remember when I was a teenager and um, I was on Daytona Beach, I was like, I think 19 years old, we were on spring break, and uh, this big dude from Georgia began to preach the gospel to me, and he started telling me that I was sinful, and I knew it, and he started telling me I was lost, and I knew it. And no matter what, I, what I've said to myself or no matter how I tried to convince myself otherwise, I knew, I knew that I was, I, knew I was not right with God. And that makes no sense to us. Nobody had to explain that to me. Nobody had to give it to me and, and articulate it. But the believer, one of the issues is, is that they don't know that they're lost. And so they need to be told, you're lost. And this is, again, a lost message within the church today. We're like afraid to tell people they're lost. I don't know if you notice that. I don't know if you listen to messages. When, and if you do, when's the last time you hear somebody come straight out and say, without Christ, you're eternally lost? They don't say it anymore. Our churches, particularly in the, in the younger lane and the younger pastors, they just want everybody to just get along. We, don't, we think that people by default, just because they're around the Christian community, this is the, this is the logic, if they're around the Christian community, then they'll realize they need Jesus. No, they won't. No, they won't. You must be confronted Man's sinfulness must, mankind's sinfulness must be confronted. They have to be told. People by nature think they're okay. People by nature, we have tons of churches, even Christians in churches, they think they're going to heaven, but they're not converted. They're intellectually convinced, but their spirit or their heart is not converted. To know Jesus in your mind is completely different than being converted in your heart. Not knowing to the unbelievers, not knowing that they're lost, not knowing that they can be forgiven, The believer, their greatest need is not is their greatest the greatest downfall, and I believe the greatest flaw is not knowing who they are, not knowing who they are, and not knowing what Christ not only has done for them, but what is theirs by it's available to them. We just saw here this morning healing like like that. We didn't have some super evangelist come in here waving holy claws in the room, you know, signing eight by ten glossies at the door. It's everyday people praying. That's why I, I almost like in congregational settings, I'll pray if I have to. Not because, because I love to pray. For I, love to, I love healing. Heal, I love that. I mean, I'm down. I'm in. I love the prophetic. I'm in. I'm in on the spiritual gifts. I love it. 100%. But my role is not to elevate myself and go, wow, look how fancy the pastor is. My role is to empower the people. That's the idea. You know, and to teach the people what their inheritances are, what belongs to you as an average believer, as a not average, but as a believer, as a son and daughter, what is yours by right of inheritance? And to teach you not only what is yours, but how to activate it. And it's right there for you. It's right there. It's been there the whole time. The whole time. And so the believer doesn't understand who they are, and they don't understand what's theirs by right of inheritance. And then if they do know who they are, they have some understanding of who they are, they believe this belongs to me, they don't know fully how to access what belongs to them. So the unbeliever needs to come to Jesus and the believer needs to come into identity and needs to come into purpose and needs to come into destiny. And it's literally that progression. Identity, purpose, destiny. You're created for destiny. I don't know if you're aware of that. Nobody told you that, let me be the first to tell you. You're created for destiny. You've known it since the time you were a child. You, I'm on this planet for a reason. I don't know what that reason is, but I'm on this planet for a reason. You're created for destiny. And we're talking about Jesus on the cross and what the cross has done for us and what happened and why Jesus went to the cross. This is the whole concept of love and things that he said when he was on the cross and so I'm going to talk to you a little bit about this. is probably one of the core theological understandings that the Christian has to have. And it's the understanding of, everybody say it with me, substitution. Right? Jesus is your substitute. He died not only for you, He died as you. He literally took your place. And so that's something that has to be understood. There's four pillars within the New ter- There's pillars within the entire Bible. Like pillars, you have re- um, creation, fall, redemption, and uh, regeneration or restoration of all things, renewal of all things. That's the whole Bible. It's a story of creation, it's the story of the fall of mankind, it's the story of God's redemptive plan, and it's the story of what the Bible calls palingenesia or the renewal of all things. That's the theme, the fourfold themes of the Bible. The New Testament has fourfold themes, too. It's the birth of Jesus, the crucifixion of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, and we all get that one. We always, somehow, I don't understand how this got neutered from our churches, but the fourth one is the coming and the impartation of the Holy Spirit. We've lost that one. Well, will go, the birth of Jesus, the crucifixion of Jesus, and the resurrection. Woo! All three of those are awesome. But you negate the fourth one, which is essential to everything, and that is the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. How did we lose that? I don't know. So Jesus is our substitute. Matthew tells us this. At at noon, darkness fell over the whole earth. So Jesus is on the cross. Three hours into this experience, the whole earth was clouded in darkness. The land uh, uh, from 3 o'clock, Jesus cried out with a loud voice. He said, Eloi, Eli, or Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. Which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? All through the the time that Jesus was on the earth, he called God Father. He called God Father. He called God Father. God was Father. God was Father. It was that intimacy of relationship. Here, he calls him Eloi. This is interesting because the Holy Spirit had left him. The the presence of the Father had left him. In the the Old Testament, the name of God, his name is Elohim. Elohim is a plural word. It's three as one. Elohim, So Eloi is singular, and Elohim is plural. Jesus isn't going Elohim, Elohim. He's going Eloi, Eloi. Why? Because it's not Elohim without him. And so he's calling on God singular because he is part of the triune. You understand that? People say whether Jesus was created or Jesus wasn't God. Well, you can't say that. He's God in the flesh. And it's evidence, critics would say certain things like that, but he's calling out to God in in singular form. Why? Because he's the Trinity. He's part of the triad, the Trinitarian God. He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? For the first time in all of time and space, Jesus suffered separation from his Father. For the first time. Had never happened Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the beginning and the end. There is no time, there is no anything that Jesus had never known a time. Time had never existed without him. Nothing exists without him. Nothing has ever come about unless he was a part of it. And whatever he was a part of it, he was a part of in relationship with his Father and in relationship with the Holy Spirit. This is the first time that that separation ever happened. Why did the separation happen? Because he's substituting himself for you and for me. And he took upon, uh, upon himself the separation that we have. Man, we're all sons and daughters of Adam. We are born of the seed of Adam, the Bible says. That's why we have to be born again. Because we're born of Adam. We're born, the Bible would say, corruptible seed. And when we would get born again in Christ, we're born of incorruptible seed. We're born of Adam who has what the Bible says is iniquity. Iniquity is issues in the bloodline. So we're born of the blood of Adam, and we have iniquity that is issues in our bloodline. Therefore, we must be born of the blood of Jesus. You understand? See, this, these, these are important uh, crossings that you have to understand. Why is the blood, why is, what's this whole deal about blood? And then we'll quote, well, if, you know, without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. That's Leviticus. Yeah, but it's a little broader, and it's a little deeper than that. It deals with the issue of iniquity, sin within the bloodline. And so we have to be born again, that's the old idea, and Christ taking on him the judgment that is that came upon the seed of Adam, which is separation. We were born separated. That's why when we get born again, we're like, whoa, this is crazy. We know a life that we never knew, we know an experience that we never had, because separation is what was normal to us. See, unity what was normal to him. So he's suffering separation. What happens is we're born of the line of Adam. We're born separated. Our ancestor Adam separated himself from God. This is man's problem. You see it today all over the planet. The root of sin is in the denial, not just of the existence of God, but man in his arrogance actually thinks he can say who God is. Oh, I believe in God. Which God? Which God? Me, I'm bold. It's Jesus, man. Let's just be clear. What God are we talking about? We're not talking about the God as you understand Him to be or the God as you define Him to be. We're talking about Jesus Christ, our Lord, our God, and our King. Make no bones about it. There is no other name given under heaven by which we can be saved other than the name of Jesus. He is our God. All judgment, all righteousness, all eternity has been committed unto the Son. And there is no other name given. None. So it's not the generic God. God. Next time somebody wants to say, well, I believe in God, I always ask them, which one? Which one? Well, God, you know, God, god he has a name, right? Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Jesus is perfect theology. I and my Father are one. We are one. We are unified. We are a had. There is no distinction or distinguishing. There's nothing between us that separate. We are the same. It's not God as we understand him to be. That's a very important thing to understand. Man thinks that we can define God. Man thinks that we create gods in our own image. Well, I think God's like this, and I think God's like this. No, God's like that. You're breaking the second commandment. You know? Or, here's the other one. This is my favorite of all. I don't believe in God. Really? And you actually believe you have the power to say that. That's the height of arrogance. That is how arrogant and how prideful our hearts really are. We are so proud in our hearts that we actually believe that we have the power to say whether or not God exists. And and it's because we are so blinded. Sin has blinded us and our hearts have become so full of pride. And we think that by denying him or refusing to say that he exists, he actually goes away. (laughs) Only in modern times has this ever been. You can study it all through ancient cultures. The Bible says the fool in his heart says there is no God. You can study the writings of Homer and Plato and all of, these ancient, all of these ancient philosophers. None of them were atheists. None of them. None of them. They used to, they used to consider you, um, uh, an in, uh, what, are they, what, what is the word? Like, like the, the height of stupidity if you didn't believe that there was God. They would, they would go, are you kidding me? They wouldn't even listen to you. Now in our culture, we're considered stupid if we actually believe, the, believe in God. And then you're considered even more stupid if you call him out by name. How the times have changed. <laughs> what it is, it's not a testimony to our ascension, it's a testimony to our descension. Man has not risen in his intellect, we've become more fallen in our intellect. The creation itself testifies that there's a creator. I've talked to, I had a, one time I had a conversation in a hospital with a bunch of med students. And they're talking to me about all these different things. And I'm, I'm just eating. And they're trying to explain. I don't know if it's because I'm a pastor and I'm sitting there and they were just provoked. But they had to, they had to like, lay this stuff on me. One guy's going, oh, I, you know, biology. I, I believe 100% in, in evolution. I know the science. No one convinced me otherwise. So like, I'm sitting there eating peas or something. And I look at the guy. I go, yeah, biology. No one can convince you otherwise. I said, can you take the amino acids of a monkey and combine them with the amino acids of a man? And they're like, No. And I'm like, therefore, on the basis of biology, evolution is a lie. But, but, so you understand, amino acids are the foundations of life. All life comes from amino acids. It's the foundation of all proteins. So if, at the very base level, if we come from monkeys, therefore, we should be able to take the chimpanzees' amino acids and inject them into a man, and that man should live. But it doesn't. You take the amino acids of a monkey or an ape or any, any one of the primates and put them into a man, the man dies. You take the amino acids of a human and you put them into any primate and the primate dies. Biology itself tells you evolution is a lie. So he he literally looked at me with a blank stare on his face. He didn't know what to say. But he's articulating this. And God takes the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. Here's a guy, probably eight, nine, ten years in school... They're programming him into knowing and understanding a lie. And in one moment, I just give him a stupid statement. And all of his philosophy and all of his understanding is confounded down to zero. He had no answer for it. None. Because it's truth. It's truth. I always tell him, explain the seed to me. They can't explain the seed. The seed is a great mystery. Horticulturalists, botanists, all of them, they can't explain the seed. They can't, they'll tell you what the seed does, but they can't tell you the why. Or where, it would. you can take a seed that's dormant and then plant it and it grows. I shared with you guys a story a few times. Like I would go, I went to the Louvre many years ago. When I was at the Louvre, they have a big, uh, big uh, display of Egyptian artifacts. And as you walk in, there's a, a row of papyrus, right? They have a water fountain, at least this was at the time. They probably have changed it by now. But they had a row of papyrus plants growing, And the sign said that these papyrus plants were grown from the seeds taken from a pharaoh's tomb thousands of years ago. (laughs) Well, how is that possible? How is it possible that a seed can lie dormant, dead, thousands of years, and yet be regenerated unto life like that? How is it possible? They can't explain it. There's no explanation for it. But yet they'll say there is no God. Yet they'll say that we come from monkeys which is a complete pile of nonsense. And what it is, is it's the height of man's arrogance. So anytime you hear these arguments, they all sound smart. But I could take a five-year-old and go, what about amino acids? I could teach somebody that could get a seven-year-old to ask him him that question, and they wouldn't even be able to answer the seven-year-old. Oh, they'll they'll talk for 20 minutes, and they'll sound like like geniuses. Oh, you know, we have to understand, you know. And here's another thing. Where's the transitional forms? If we come from monkeys, where's the transitional forms? Where are the half-man, half-monkeys walking around? If we're evolving and we're continually evolving, where's the evolution going on? Where is it now? You can't see it. Well, it's hyper-evolution. So so in other words, they went from a monkey and just hyper-evolved into a man. Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. We see hyper-evolution going on in our everyday life, don't we? No, we don't. It's a complete and total lie. There is evolution, if you want to, they've hijacked the word, but there's evolution within the species. You can take a Chihuahua and breed him with a Doberman. I don't recommend it, but it's possible. I don't know what you're going to get, but you're going to get some kind of crazy dog, right? You ever seen a Wiener dog? I saw a Wiener dog bred with a a German Shepherd. Literally, a German Shepherd with legs like that, you know, running around. (laughs) And you're like, that's evolution. No, they're all dogs, man. They're all dogs. We're all different, right? We see differences within each other, different skin tones, different body types, differences within. But we're all humans. That's the difference. There's evolution or transitions within the species. But not, there's no such, you can't cross-pollinate. You can't combine a, you can't combine a horse with a donkey. You get a mule. And the mule is, the mule is sterile. It cannot reproduce. You say, but they made a mule. Yeah, but the mule, the mules it's an inert species. It cannot, you you can do it one time. You can cross a donkey and a horse and get a mule, but the mule's sterile. Anyway. (laughs) And they're very closely related as well. What sin does, sin alienates us. So we have an issue with sin. We have an issue because of our ancestor. We have iniquity in the bloodline. All of us have an issue with sin. We need Jesus. Alienates us. What does that mean? It makes us foreign One thing that sin does is it makes us foreigners to what? To spiritual things. Without Christ, foreign to all things spiritual. We become foreign to to who our God is. We become foreign to who we are. We become foreign to why we were created. We become foreign to the relationships that that we don't understand how to relate to each other. All things become foreign to us because we become alienated from our purpose because of sin alienated from the life of god alienated from forgiveness people don't understand forgiveness it's amazing you ever forget once you become a christian it's like forgiveness becomes almost like you know in the spirit it becomes a lot easier i don't know if any of y'all are with me but like when I, before i was a believer i had a hard time forgiving not just others but myself our hardest person that we can't forgive is ourselves. That's the biggest issue. We have a, we become alienated from the life of God, alienated from forgiveness, alienated from religious relig, uh, relationships, alienated from his spirit. The church is still alienated from his spirit. We worship Jesus. You have no idea the content that I read and I read these really super smart people and I'm like, how can you miss this? How can you miss what's right there in front of you? I was just reading a guy recently and he was talking about Isaiah 53 cuz I'm reading all this stuff on the cross and just, you know, always trying to look for something new, something fresh. And he's like, by his stripes we're healed. Anybody know that verse? Anybody, anybody familiar with that? It's in Peter, and it's in also in Isaiah. And he says, you know, wounded for our transgression, bruised for our iniquities. Chastisements for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we're healed. So by his stripes we're healed. And he says, clearly this is not talking about healing in the present time. Because if it was talking about healing in the present time, all Christians would be healed. I'm like, that's a, st- that's a stupid reason, and here's why. For someone in this guy's position, this guy's in a position of a, theo- he's a theologian. In other words, he's studying scriptures and, you know, pulling everything apart and trying to disseminate everything. Jesus died for the whole, by the same logic that he's using there, Jesus dying for the whole world, therefore Christ died for the whole world. That would mean that all the whole world would- is saved, Right. So if what you're trying to say here is that the provision of healing is not real because we don't see it active within the church, I don't know what church he goes to, but if we don't see it active within the church, and if this healing is real, then all Christians would be healed. And there wouldn't be any sickness among them. That same reasoning, that, that logic conflicts with the other side of it that says Christ died for the whole world. And if Christ died for the whole world, therefore the whole world saved. Is the whole world saved? Did Jesus die for the whole world? Yes. Yes. So Christ has made provision for the whole world, but the whole world isn't saved. Why? Because they've not appropriated the provision that's been given to them. Christ has given atonement. He's given great and precious promises, including healing within the covering of atonement. We have to learn to appropriate this. We have to learn to draw from what is ours by inheritance. Alienation. That's what sin does. It alienates us. Sin roots itself in pride. So you know, the seat of our sin is selfish pride. That's it. It's the seed of pride. Pride always defends itself. I want you to be really clear on what pride does. Pride will defend itself to the death, to the death. You could take a guy like this who's done all the study, and you could show him, I' say, "Look at the people that just got healed this morning." and because of his pride, he would come up with some reason to defend that. A lot of times when the Holy Spirit's dealing with our conscience, right? So the Holy Spirit will deal with our conscience, your pride will come to the forefront and defend it. No, not you that's not your problem, you didn't do that, that's not you, you know, you need to forgive that person, no I don't, or you need to apologize for that action, no I don't, pride always comes to the forefront, pride is our issue, selfish pride, self-seeking pride, that was Adam's sin, Adam sought himself over God, he was created by God for God, not for his own purposes, we teach almost the selfish gospel within the church, We teach it's all about you. It's not about you. I'm going to tell you right now, it's not about you. Who told you that? You're not going to hear it here. It's all about Jesus. You were not created for your own purposes. You were created for his. You were created to be a worshiper. Your, Your honor is to worship him. His honor is to use the worshiper. Everything that you do is to be done for his glory, not yours. Everything that you do is to unto him. Seek first the kingdom and what is right to him. Not seek first the kingdom and what is right to you, what you want. But that's, again, that's not the gospel we teach, because that's an unpalatable gospel, particularly in the American culture. We don't like that. We don't want that. You know, teach me how to be rich, Pastor. Well, prosperity's in the gospel, it's there. God will give it to you if He can get it through you. Just want to let you know that. Jesus doesn't have a problem with money. told me that many times. I've created an earth that's generating wealth, Kevin turquoise gold silver diamonds are being created while we sit here the earth is literally a wealth generator it's making oil it's making resources all the time it's not running out i don't oh, we're running out of oil says who you did that research where you listen to somebody on the tv that told you that you think you think your heavenly father is that short-sighted really you think that god did not create a sustainable environment for the creation that he gave who told you that well, so and so told me that. Well, they're not, they're wrong. The earth is regenerating wealth. Every time they go to look for oil, they, can't, they find more of it. They keep finding it. It's the same thing. They just found probably the largest reserve. There's a, 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 an aquifer underneath the desert in Arizona. They just discovered it an aquifer of water running deep beneath the earth underneath a desert. Do you really believe that Jesus is that short sighted that he doesn't know how to provide? Not just for his earth, for his people, but for the earth itself. He feeds the birds of the air. We have to get our thinking right. We have to think from his economy and not from our own. We become alienated from the life of God. We come alienated from his purpose. We become alienated from his promises. We have to realize what we're created for, Christian. We're created for him. We're created for his glory. There's no problem with you prospering. He has no problem with you succeeding. Jesus is more committed to your success than you are. I don't know if you're aware of that. Most Christians don't believe that. They believe a lie, so they go off and enact their own plan. They don't understand partnership. They really don't believe God's good. They really don't believe that God has their best for them, because if they did, they would live differently. If they did, they would make different choices. They would make, they would give differently. They would present themselves and live their life in a direction other than the one that's focused clearly upon themselves. God is more committed to your success than you are. People oftentimes go, tell me the will of God for my life. I always ask them, is it, is it, do you want to know the will of God so you can decide whether you're going to obey it or not? Or do you want to know the will of God so that you can actually begin to line your life up with what he wants for you? We have a better plan, we think, oftentimes. It's a dead end. Let me just save you some time. which we, That's the one thing we all don't have a lot of is time. <laughs> you can waste it if you choose. But he's got a better plan for you, and he's more committed to your success than you are to your own. So true. He wants more for you than you want for you. He knows how you were made. You know what you want. He knows how you're made. You know what you, des- you know. You know what like what you want to have. He knows what's going to bring you harmony and cause you to flourish. And somehow we think there's a disconnect that if I serve God, that I'm going to be I'm going to be without. Says who? Says who? Who told you that? I've seen never seen the righteous forsaken nor their seed begging for bread. Is that true or is that a lie? David said, I've been young and I've been old. I've never seen the righteous forsaken of the seed begging for bread. If you actually want to read the story of the Bible, those who served God became prosperous and prosperous and prosperous and prosperous and prosperous. Now they didn't get rich overnight. It's not a get rich quick scheme, but it is a building lasting foundation of success. Line upon line, precept upon precept. God builds your life in a fashion of sustainable glory. That's what he does. That's where the prosperity gospel got it wrong is they think it's get rich quick. It's not get rich quick. But prosperity, without a doubt, is in the Gospels. I hate to tell you that. Poverty is a curse. Poverty is a curse. The only, one that pe- the only people that romanticize poverty are those who don't live in it. It's funny how the rich and the elitist are the ones glamorizing poverty. Really? Give it all up and go live on the street and tell me what it's like. People that are poor, there's no glamour in poverty. And they know that. It's of the devil. The Bible says that the devil makes his, wa- makes his habitation a wasteland. God, God, everything God does is a Genesis God. It's a flourishing God. It's an abundant God. It's, a, it's, it's, it's above and beyond what you can ask or think. There the Lord is. Where there is a wasteland and where there is barrenness, there the devil inhabits. It's where he inhabits. You say, well, where's the wasteland in my life? Why is it there? There's probably a lie that you believe or you've got something entrenched where the demonic has a right there. If there's a barrenness in your life, there's an area there where God is not there. Emotionally, spiritually, financially, relationally, if there's a barrenness there, the enemy has a right. And he has made that habitation a wasteland. You say, nothing grows here. It must be God's will. No, it's not it at all. So this is stupid stuff we teach. We teach the church these stupid things that are not in the Bible. Not in the Bible. So I've decided whether my pastor brothers like me or not, I want to let Jesus like me. So I'm not going to teach, I'm going to teach what I know to be true and not teach this nonsense just because everybody sits around and applauds each other as we teach this stuff and we come up for excuses why we are where we are. Again, pride defends itself, right? We can't possibly think that it's our fault. We couldn't possibly think that our theology is wrong. You can confront pastors with this information and show them that this is an error and this is not producing fruit the theology that you've built your life on and the doctrine that you've built your life on is not producing fruit and they will not deny it they'll defend it with the hilt they'll come up with pride and defend it what should their response be i mean paul's a great example paul i love this story some of you are going to be encouraged by it because paul spent half of his life building his life wrong can you imagine? You're halfway through your life and you're like, I have done this all wrong. Everything I've done has been a disaster. The choices that I make, people I associated with, the decisions I've, I've put myself in has been wrong. That's what Paul, that's the conclusion Paul had. Is everything that I have is wrong. And you know what he did? He retracted himself for three years. He went three years into Damascus. And what did he do? He retooled himself. He transformed his mind. Who do you think wrote Romans? Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How could he say that? Because he knew that would be true. He knew that you could, Romans 12, he knew he could be transformed in the mind because he himself had been. He had been religiously programmed. He had been culturally programmed. And he knew that I needed to be transformed from that. And so he retreated from everything that he knew because he knew what he was doing was wrong. And he reframed himself and he rebuilt himself and he came forth and he came forth with knowledge and power and humility. We have to reframe. We have to change the way that we think. We have to stop pretending. Stop pretending. We pretend. Oh, let's, let's get real. Can we get real? You know what I dare you to? Press up against the gospel and see if it's true. It's the story of my life. I came to Christ. I was 20 years old. Gave my life full on. Boom, flame on. Let's go. I'm down. I'm in. Fully committed. Learned about Jesus when I was young, but went all in with my whole life At that point in my time, and my biggest run was I'm gonna push up against this and I'm gonna see if it's true. Everything he tells me to do, I'm gonna do it. Just like he said in the with the wedding at Cana, Mary said to the servants, What did she say? Whatever he says to you, do it. And what happened? Water became wine. You know what your problem is? A lot of people's problems? Jesus tells you, and you won't do it. It's your problem. And you wonder why water won't go to wine because he's told you things and you don't do it. You won't do it. Well, I don't, you know, it's not comfortable for me or that's not guaranteed or it's unknown or I'm afraid or, you know, whatever our excuses are. We've got a list of them. But excuses don't don't justify the inaction. Your inaction is not justified by your excuses. Jesus doesn't even accept that as an excuse. I went all in, man. Everything he told me to do, I did it. I was broke as could be. You guys, I tell you the story. I was tied. I go, I'm going to tie to the, to the dollar. I'll eat ramen noodles and live in my car if I have to, but I will do what he has told me to do. And I never stopped. I will give myself unto the things that are made available to me. I, will, I began to ask pastors, what do I do? 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 Because I was ignorant. I didn't know what I was doing. And so I tried to ask those with spiritual counsel. And when they would tell me, this is what you do, and here's why you did it. I did it. They go, you want to grow? Fast and pray, Kevin. Give yourself wholeheartedly to the word of God. Read your Bible daily. Read it even if you don't understand it and fast and pray. And in six months, I was on a rocket ride, on a rocket ride. Nothing mattered to me, nothing, nothing. I count all things as loss. I still do. The only thing I, the only thing I do now is I want more resources so I can give more into the kingdom. I want more resources so we can broaden the, the scope of what I feel like God has called us to do. A lot of you, you, you don't experience the transformation. There's a disconnect with you somewhere. You, you, you don't believe God's good, so you don't do it. You believe that's a lie. No, I don't believe that is a lie. Here comes pride. Remember, any time that person within you comes to defend something, that's your pride, and pride will fight to the death. No, not you, not you. You're a man or a woman of God, not you. <laughs> I let him tell me all the time, what's my problem, Lord? Search me and know me. I want nothing in me that is not of you. I want nothing in me or about me that is an impediment to what you want to do, whatever it is. And I take my friend, I do try to do what he does, and when I have a frustration, I bring it to him. When I have a need, I bring it to him. I, I tell him, I'll do whatever you want me to do, but this is what I need. <laughs> whatever you need me to do, Lord, I'm in. Amen but this this is the request made from the field i need this and he's going to he's not only provided it he will continue to provide it sin creates conflict with god ourselves others and ourselves proverbs 13 says a foolish person's a person's foolish choices leads them to ruin but their heart rages against the lord isn't that interesting we create our own problems and we point the finger at god it's your fault lord <laughs> Anybody done that? Or am I the only one? Yes. We point the finger at God. But in reality, it's our own brokenness. It's our own sin. It's our own dysfunction. And again, pride comes to defend. Pride goes, it's not you, it's God. You're not the problem, it's God. (laughs) On a church level, God's not healing. It can't be that we don't know what we're doing. We know what we're doing. No, you don't. We know what we're doing. And because we know what we're doing and we don't see healing, God's not healing. No, wrong answer. There's pride defending the position. You don't see healing because you don't know what you're doing. Sit in the seat of the learner and learn what you're doing. Jesus told the Pharisees over and over again in their self-righteousness. He said, go and learn what this means. Go and learn what this means. Go and learn what this means. You who do all of these crazy things and your Mr. and Mrs. know-it-all you have opinion. Jesus would confront them and go, you know nothing. You don't know anything. When you're confronted with a reality that conflicts with your theology, you need to back up and shift your theology. When you're confronted with a revelation that is different from what you've been taught or what you understand, you need to back up and learn something different because I can guarantee you Your theology is probably wrong. The revelation is not what God is showing you is probably more in line with His heart than what you currently know from book learning. See it all the time. What happens is that sin not only alienates us, causes conflict, causes conflict with other people. It's a cycle of vengeance. You do this to me, I'm going to do it with you. You do it to me, I'm going to do it to you. It's a cycle of vengeance. That all comes from that all comes from sin. It also causes guilt and shame within the person, so it causes conflict with God, conflict with others, and conflict with ourselves. Guilt and shame is a conflict with yourself. You're in conflict with yourself all the time. And it's because of the separation from God. You don't know who you are. You don't know what your purpose is. You're frustrated all the time. You don't know what forgiveness looks like. You're separated. That separation leads to conflict. The Bible says where there is envy and self-seeking, anybody know the verse? There is confusion and every form of evil. Sin at its root is self-seeking. We're not created to be self-seeking. We're created to be Jesus-seeking. And in Jesus-seeking, you learn who he is, he shows you who you are, and he shows you what your purpose is. is. Your purpose is pretty generic because at the end of the day, he's going to ask you, what do you want? If you really begin to form the relationship with him. I always wanted business, but little did I know, God's like, I'm going to give you business. Jesus is like, I'm going to give you business, Kevin. Your business is what I'm going to call you to. But not the business that you are, you want. I'm going to give you your father's business. But he gave me business, didn't he? Not in the form that I wanted. Oh, I feel the glory on that. He'll give you what you want. What he wants for you is higher. That was my whole life. I wanted business, 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 business. I'm called to be business. I'm called to be business. She's like, yeah, yeah. You're called to business, but not business as you understand it to be, Kevin. Business as I understand it to be, the father's business. Everything that you want. Your desire is probably very pure and very true. Some of you want success. God wants to give you success, but he wants to give you a level of success that's incredibly higher than what you think you want. You're completely, you're, you're dull to what you think you want this until God shows you what he has, until God shows you the plan that, and the purpose that he has. And he doesn't give you the full revelation until you become obedient. He'll give you a glimmer. He tests you with obedience if you will not be faithful with the little, you will not be trusted with the much. He tests you to see if you'll just listen to him. Even if it makes no sense to you. You know what obedience is? When you don't want to. And obedience also looks like this. Obedience is not only when you don't want to. Obedience is when even if you don't understand. Even if you don't understand. Peter cast the net on the other side of the boat. He's fishing. So here's the boat, right? Here's the boat, Christian. Peter's fishing on this side of the boat. He catches nothing. Jesus goes, you know what your problem is? You're fishing on the wrong side of the boat. So Peter's like, okay, you're a rabbi. I'm a fisherman. I think, you know, I've been doing this for a lot of years. There's really not a much difference between four feet from one side of the boat to the other. But nevertheless, at your word. Even though I don't understand this, even though I don't agree with it, I'm going to do it. (laughs) It doesn't open up to you, Christian, until you begin to demonstrate a life of consistent obedience. He's not asking your opinion. He's asking your obedience. He's not asking you and he's not... Expl- Another thing about Jesus is he doesn't explain himself on the front end. You must enter into a layer of obedience. And once God is able to trust you through that layer of obedience, he becomes intimate with you. And then it becomes a dialogue. A dialogue. The dialogue doesn't exist until you enter into a place of obedience and demonstrate a consistent pattern of obedience. That's why most Christians are retarded in their spiritual growth. They're undeveloped, arrestedly developed because they can't get past the first point of obedience. They can't do the basic things. Well, discipleship is pretty basic: read your Bible, pray, commit and connect to church, financially give, and live on mission. Basic. Oh, I don't understand it. He, I didn't, he does not asking you to understand. He's telling you to do it. I don't understand why I have to read the Bible anyway. He does not asking you. To read it. I don't understand why I have to pray or why I have to come to pray. He's not asking you. To do it. Those are basic commands, and if you cannot facilitate basic commands and enter into basic obedience, you'll never get into Revelation and you'll never get into the communion that He wants to bring you in. It's there for you, but you have to go through the door of obedience. And if you don't, you're going to be stuck on the other side for the rest of your existence. You, can't, you have to be willing to demonstrate basic obedience, Christian. And it's when you don't understand, and it's when you don't want to. That's obedience. Doing what he tells you to do when you don't want to. And people go, well, he hasn't told me anything. I just gave you five things he just told you to do. Those five things are primary. Read your Bible. He, it's clear. Come, commit and connect to church. Pray. Financially give and live on mission. Those are five things you don't even need to debate. There's no debate there. There's no demonstrate obedience and everything. He's going to start. You know what's going to happen? You're going to read his word. He's going to start talking to you. You know what's going to happen? He's going to start praying. He's going to start answering your prayers and he's going to start giving you revelation. Because of basic obedience, you're going to enter into another place. Because of financial giving, he's going to give you increase. People can, people become increase and they go. I don't know what to do with it. And our natural inclination is let's raise our lifestyle. Let's get that new car. Let's build a bigger house. That's human inclination. What if you were to take that inclination and say, "Lord, what do you want to do with these resources that you've given me?" And if He says, "Sow it, sow it again, so that the harvest, the second harvest is going to be bigger." What if He told you to take your harvest and sow it three or four times, taking nothing for yourself, only what you need, and you sowed it again, and again, and again, and again? What would happen? Instead of reaping it all and stacking it off the first harvest that you get, what would happen if you re sowed, re sowed, re sowed? It, it would multiply. That is exactly right. It would multiply. Our separation is an intolerable thing to Jesus. That's why he came down, it's not acceptable to him. Jesus cannot bear separation with mankind. We are created by him and for him. <laughs> That's why he came. He would not allow separation to remain without taking action. He said, all may not want me, but I want to provide a way for those who do. The way has been provided for those who want him. Jesus is indifferent to those who don't want him. He reckons them as those who hate him. I've offered you reconciliation. You reject me. Therefore, he counts it in his heart as you hate me. You can't recognize love in your ear here and you deny me. Over yourself. That's what that's that's how that's why the Bible reckons it like God sees them as enemies, having for not taking on this this this, um, this offer. Jesus would not allow it to be there without taking action. Jesus made the choice, no one made him do it. This is important to know. Nobody forced Jesus to do anything. He didn't come down here as a philosopher of love like Gandhi. I've come down to give you all a philosophy and to give you all a lifestyle. That's how the world views Jesus, as a teacher, like Gandhi or Krishna or any of these pagan false leaders. Jesus didn't come. He was born to die. He didn't come to bring a philosophy. (laughs) I tell you guys this story. A guy, famous guy writes on Facebook, what if Matthew chapter 5 was all the church had? If all the church had was the Sermon on the Mount, how would that affect the church? we'd be no different than the moose lodge because he's going into this whole thing about loving the poor and being just to the enemies and all this other stuff. I wrote him back. I put a post on his wall, public. I think he might have took it down or he blocked me, but I told him, I said, John chapter 3 is more relevant to the church than Matthew chapter 5. John chapter 3, you must be born again and you must receive the power of the Spirit. I said, being born again and receiving the power of the Spirit, no other work. Matthew chapter 5 is completely irrelevant unless you're converted and you have the Holy, Holy Spirit. Love your enemies, you know. The kingdom is, you know. The, 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 Matthew chapter 5 is essentially the Sermon on the Mount. That's where we're going with. And he's saying, the Sermon on the Mount, what would the church do? We would be the Moose Lodge. We're not the Moose Lodge. We're converted, spirit-empowered people. Amen. We're transformed people, operating with agapeo, unto one another and unto our Father. Foolishness is our lifestyle to those who don't know but wise to all who understand. We're spirit-empowered. Social justice is important to the church, but not at the expense of the Holy Spirit. I say put social justice on hold until we get the spirit of God right. Because it's meaningless. Though I give my body to be burned, but have not love. Agapeo. Power of the spirit moving in love. It's empty. Oh, the world will applaud us. Are we looking for the world's accolades or are we looking for our fathers? We want our father's accolades. Trust me, we've worked with the urban poor since the founding of this church. I could tell you stories. I'm not against working with the urban poor. I'm up close and intimate far more than anyone in the room, and I put what my wife and I have done on a par with anybody in the city as far as what we've done working with the impoverished and the urban poor and the broken and the infirm, All, all across the board. We didn't work with them at a distance. We worked with them right here, right here, in my face, in my home. I've had them live with me, all kinds of things. So I'm not against social justice. I'm for it. But I realize there's something that needs to take place. The power of the Spirit must be what's translated into the social justice, or it's empty and it's vain. Bring the Holy Spirit, bring the revelation of the Spirit. Nobody made Jesus give his life. says, I didn't come to be served. I didn't come to be glorified. I didn't come to be worshipped in this idea of a human philosophy. I came to serve and to give my life away. He's born to die. Born to be your substitute and mine. In order to what? To give birth to a greater generation. Greater works than these you shall do because I go to my father. You're born again. You're now sons and daughters. I release my spirit to you. Go further than me in this world. That's the mandate. But not without being born again. And not without the Holy Spirit. No one takes my life from me, but I lay it down. And if I lay it down, then I take the power to take it up again. Jesus is like, nobody's doing this to me. I'm doing it willingly. I'm doing it willingly. Do you not think that I could command my Father and 10,000 angels would be at my disposal right now? Do you not think that I could loose and call into reality, the reality of my kingdom with a word? I could manifest the kingdom into the now with a word? angels would come through the veil of time and stand before you? You don't think I could do that? 100% he could. Everywhere he went, angels came through the veil of time. Everywhere he went, angels, 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 angels. Jesus had to hold them back. (laughs) They ministered to him in the garden. They ministered to him when he came saved. Angels and God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. He came as a substitute. He came as you and for you. 2 Corinthians, he who knew, who he, for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that we would become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. For the church to remain and for the mindset to be that we're sinners is to deny what the gospel is actually teaching. God no longer looks at you as a sinner. He looks at you as the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Sons and daughters adorned with royal robes, heirs of this world and then the one to come. That's how heaven sees you. That's how he sees you. Say, I'm so broken. I'm just messed up. I'm just screwed up. Yeah, darn we all. Jesus on the inside working on the outside. That's what it's all about. But that doesn't deny the identity that's been given to you. You're sons and daughters, heirs of this world and the one to come. Born again of not corruptible seed but incorruptible. We're just sinners saved by grace. You need to read that verse right there. We are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. He didn't say he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we would forever be eternally known before him as sinners. Well, we're just sinners. Rise up, Christian. Know who you are. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not just for ours, but for the sins of the whole world. Jesus has died for the whole world. They just don't know it. He's the desire of nations. They just don't know it. People need to come to Jesus. They need to be born again and converted in their hearts. Born again. The born again experience, the revival of the 60s and the 70s. The Jesus movement. You know what it's centered on? People say it's centered on, on the breaking of the yeah. It was part of the Holy Spirit and breaking. But the main point of the, of, the, of, the, um, of the Jesus movement was the born again experience. People were encountering and being born again. Literally transformed. What? There's power in me. I've never known and I'm alive and I've never known it. Being born again. That's why the Bible tells you, renew the, remember the joy of your salvation. renew, Restore. Remember that. Remember who you are. I mean, you need to go back to that born-again experience. You've been born again, haven't you? Aren't you? Dig, dig the dirt off it, man. You're born again. Jesus never took it from you. He loves you just as much. If he loved you while you were yet sinners, how much more does he love you now? Way more. (laughs) Way more. Christ has rescued us from the curse of the law. He hung on a tree for his written curses. Everyone who hangs on a tree say, well, why are there still curses in my life? Because you have to appropriate the provision that was made for you. You've been given an inheritance. Spend it. Spend your inheritance. What is the inheritance? The richness of the glory of Christ Jesus in the Holy Spirit. Knowledge, wisdom, power, encounter, all of that. There's a lot of layers to that. But Jesus doesn't, he's not looking at you. He wants you, 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 here's the thing. You're given an inheritance. And what happens with this kingdom is the more of that inheritance you spend, the greater the account becomes. This account doesn't go down. This account goes up. So the more you operate in the spirit, the greater the increase. The more you operate in wisdom, the greater the increase. The more you step into the things that belong to you, the greater the increase. It doesn't diminish it's an ever-growing kingdom. It's, that's, that's the difference. You have an inheritance. Substance, so here's the deal. Here's some theological. Anybody want some theology? I've given you a lot of spiritual philosophy. and understand. You want theology? I got one person. That's it. That's right. all I got. I only need one, John. That's all I need. Say that, so these are all the words that are associated with Jesus and, and what he did on the cross. Everybody say this with me. Redemption. redemption. That deals with the debt. Okay? So redemption. Sin incurs a debt. When we sin, there's a payment that has to, that's attached to it. There's a debt that's incurred. So Jesus redeems us. So his redemption pays for the debt. I say this with me. Justification, Justification deals with the legality. So Jesus redeems us and he justifies us, which means you are legally right before heaven and earth. Legality. There is therefore no condemnation. There is no, nothing anyone can ever do to you against what Christ has declared you to be. You are removed of all legal liability. There is no legal liability for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus is what? Set you free, Set you free from the law of sin and death. You are justified. There is no, there is no legal accusation. No one will t- t- contend with you in the spirit if you, it, a, a, as a son and a daughter if you know who you are. Yeah, I dare you. Next time you feel, I had, a, I had a woman I was talking to her about doing intercession for um, her husband, and I was teaching her some things, and I said, listen, you're going to go into the Spirit, and you're going to do these things, and I'm going to show you, you're going to do these things, and I said, but when you go into the Spirit, I said, one of the things going to happen to you is you're going to be confronted more than likely. You're going to hear a voice saying, who are you? Who do you think you are? And I said, you're going to have to state your right, and she's like, well, what's my right? <laughs> I said, your first right, your first claim is you're a son and daughter of the highest. So you have the right of, you have the right of position, and you have the right to stand in intercession. The second position that you hold is your flesh of his flesh and bone of your bone, bone of his bone. So by legal right, you have, an inter, you have a right to intercede for him in equal standing. And so 10 days later, she, yeah, right? And so I do this whole intercession thing with her. She calls me. I tell her, like, call me in a week or whatever. Tell me what's going on. She calls me. She's like, I cannot believe the changes that I'm seeing. Do you think it's the intercession? I'm like, I know it's the intercession. And she goes, and she's telling me all these things. And, she, and I told her there's more. i like, look, this is, I just gave you like basic, like 101. And she's like, but I see changes. And then she says to me, when I went into the spirit, just like you said, she said, I heard a voice saying, you have no right. She said, I heard it, Dad. it's my daughter. I just used her. Anyway. And so my wife's going to go, why would you have to put it? It was my daughter. So I told her. And so I, I tell her this, and she goes, I heard it. And I said, so what did you do? And she said, I took my legal right. She said, I did what she said. I said, I'm a, I'm a daughter of the highest. And she made that claim. And then she made the claim, as flesh his flesh and bone of her bones. And she'd been praying for him for like about seven days. And I asked her, I said, did you ever hear that voice again? She said, I never heard it again. And I said, do you know why? That's right. You, don't hear, you won't hear it again. You'll hear it as long as you don't know who you are. You'll hear the voice of condemnation, the voice of accusation, and the voice of diminishing until you understand who you are. All of creation groans for the revelation of the sons and the daughters of God. Creation is groaning for sons and daughters to know who they are and to take their rightful place. And creation's like, oh my gosh, would they just understand who they are? Oh my gosh, the only thing would be different if they would just understand. That's what creation's groaning. Please understand who you are, Christian. Creation is groaning for us to understand who we are. She didn't hear it again. (laughs) And she won't because she's justified in the spirit. They would challenge you until you understand who you are. The enemy will continue to challenge you until you know what is rightfully yours. He'll take from you all day long until you tell him you're not taking that anymore. Until you say, unless you have a right, you need to declare your right. And then I'm going to break that right and I'm going to take back. But you have no right to take that from me. But until you take your rightful place, he's going to rob you. Perpetually, Oh, God just doesn't want me to prosper. You're completely wrong in your thinking, and you don't understand what's happening to you. That's the first thing. That's how the devil accused Adam. It's the Lord. It's not you. It's God. God doesn't, God's keeping something from you, when the whole time it was the devil who was enacting it upon them. It's the enemy who enacts it upon you, and he points the finger at the Lord, because you don't know who you are. You don't know what your rights are. You don't know how to administer your inheritance. Join the club. Nobody does. You have to learn it. Jesus wants giant killers, people. He doesn't want babies and diapers. He wants honorable nobles who stand before him in royal robes and shift the atmospheres of the earth and pull forth the kingdom into this world. That's what he wants. We're just holding on till Jesus comes. Oh, holding on, brother. (laughs) One day in the sweet by and by, I choose the rotten here and now, I choose to bring it forth. Come on. I choose to bring the kingdom forth in the rotten here and now. People go, how audacious of you to actually think you can do it. He told me I could do it. And he told you you could do it. That's the difference. He told you. If it was not so, I would have told you. If this wasn't possible, I would have never told you. He told you you could do it. You're forgiven. You're released of all debts, spiritual, emotional, and physical. Or given. Every part of our inheritance has to be appropriated. All of these things are true. And a lot of times the church will just clap at the truth, but we don't know how to access it. And we don't know how to appropriate what belongs to us. I get sick and tired after decades of being in my faith. I've been a Christian since I was 20 years old. I've been in the game a long time. I try to run in the highest circles that are made known to me. And I see no difference between that circle and the one at the bottom, the new believer. And there's a problem. There's a problem with our theology and there's a problem with it there's some there's a problem there's something wrong here right because jesus paid blood said this is the way it's supposed to be yet we don't see it so where's the problem is the problem with the lord nope pride would defend that right you see so i'm trying to teach you pride will defend it the problem's with us the problems are lack of understanding and our lack of application we believe lies, we accept identities that don't belong to us. This is this is the wholesale problem. But the inheritance is yours. It belongs to you. It's yours. It's yours. It takes proper alignment, it takes proper understanding, but you have access. Access is never denied to the believer. You have total access. Right. Teaching in the ministry school. It's the word all realms. Onas means all realms in the heavenly places. That word means all realms. We have authority in all realms. What's all realms? All realms. All realms. Time, space, eternity, the heavens, the highest heavens, the third heaven. On earth as it is in heaven, that's what we're supposed to call forth. We have authority in that world. We command angels. What world are they in? They're in another realm. The church has been given authority. The Christians has been given authority in all realms. Forgiven, the removal of guilt, Matthew 12, chapter 12, I just want to share this with you. Jesus says, why do you condemn the guiltless? Our biggest problem with guilt is with ourselves. We're self-condemning guilt bearers, right? Let's talk to a friend of mine, telling me a bunch of stuff. I'm like, dude, get over it, man. It plays over. Stop beating yourself up. Why do you condemn the guiltless? You need to put that on the mirror next time you want to beat yourself up. Why do you condemn the guiltless? Who can bring a charge against whom Christ has justified? Jesus has justified you. You can't accuse you. If your heart condemns you, God's greater than your heart. He knows everything. Amen. You don't know what I did. You don't know what He did, right? It's not about the, 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 our biggest problem is we think it's about us. We think His love is predicated upon our behavior. Our love is not. His love is not predicated upon our behavior. <laughs> it's not. I didn't say your behavior's right. But his love for us is not predicated. Your destiny is predicated upon your behavior. Your future is predicated upon your behavior. But his love for you is not predicated upon your behavior. Your choices line you up or disalign you up with destiny. (laughs) And if you're a believer, you want destiny. Because you have the God of destiny living in your heart who is calling out and echoing you and pulling you towards destiny. You have to find the lies and unroot them. The lies are what war against this. Condemnation is not in, not in your Bible. Why do you condemn the guiltless? <laughs> your, your disciples are eating grain on the Sabbath. Jesus said, I desire charis and not sacrifice. Charis what? Movement of the Spirit and love. I desire the movement of the Spirit and love. I desire charity and not sacrifice. Go and learn what this means. He actually told them that. And he said, So why do you condemn the guiltless? My spirit is moving here in love. I've I've justified them. Who are you to condemn whom I've justified? No one can justify, condemn you. Not even you. You say, I got bad habits. Don't we all? I got hangups. Don't we all? I got compulsive behaviors that are not in line with God's word. Don't we all? You need to be sanctified. Oh, I can't. No, not me. Get your pride back, Christian. Kill that pride. Stop defending it. Stop acting like you're better than everybody else. I know you're broken. I know you're sinful. I know you are. You have to redeem those areas of your life and those compulsions will leave. You have to redeem those areas of your life and change your thinking and those patterns of behavior will leave. But they're not going to leave through Bible study and accountability groups. It's not going to happen. You have to heal it. You have to restore it. You have to unroot the lies. That's called inner healing. The week after Christmas, we're doing inner healing in the healing school at Christmas, Easter. (laughs) Christmas! In the year 2021... Christmas 2021, we will be doing inner healing. We're doing inner healing. Some of you, you need to come to that school just to get free of some things. Just because we're going to do exercises in the class. Is it going to do everything? No, but it's going to do something. And let me assure you, I could get everything with you, but I, with something, if we're going to do it in a wholesale way, something's better than nothing. And some of you need to book the time to come. You're going to have every reason not to. That's what I told the class. I said, when we start inner healing, your car's going to break down. You're going to get called into work. No, 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 we didn't. Charmaine's like, no, in Jesus' name, no. But something's going to happen. Every reason and every excuse in the world is going to come across your path to prevent you from that. Because that's where the enemy has his hold on you. And that's what he does not want you to have. I do inner healing with people, and people go to me almost every time. They either cancel or sometimes they get people, you don't know how hard it was for me to get here today. I go, I know how hard it was for you to get here today. The enemy don't want you here because he knows, what, he knows what this does. This unroots him. This releases him. He no longer holds rights over you. He does nothing but by right, Christian. You have the power. You have the authority, but you have to appropriate it. He'll keep it from you. Till long you as long as you don't exercise your right, he holds it. It's yours, but you have to exercise it against him. Warrior, rise up. This honor have all the saints. Psalm 149. This honor. Yeah. Last thing, I want to hit this one, and I'm going to close. (laughs) If you want a different message, come to the second service. It'll probably be entirely different. (laughs) Wait, I'm not even close to what I wrote down here. (laughs) What substitution does is it deals with the termination of the old you. We should get a hallelujah off that. (laughs) Substitution, he substitutes himself for you that you no longer would be. It's the end of you. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. All has passed away. All things have become new. Thank you, you, (laughs) Jesus. God no longer regards you as you. He regards you as the new you. And I would just love to share it because it's so beautiful. The Holy Spirit is the most beautiful person I have ever met. And Jesus is the kindest person I've ever met. And the Father is the most generous person I've ever met. There's no one like them. And the Holy Spirit, the new you, is in the Spirit. You ever notice how beautiful you are in the Spirit? Yes. That's you. That's the eternal you. That's the you you'll be forever. Get, be, live in that place, and you're going to have a happy day. You're going to have a happy life. Our flesh hates it, but our Spirit wants it. You ever get in the Spirit, and you're like, wow, yeah. Then you're in the flesh. Your flesh doesn't want to get in the spirit. Your flesh doesn't want to go to church. Your flesh doesn't want to worship. Your flesh doesn't want to read your Bible. Your flesh doesn't want to come to prayer. Because that's the old man. That's the zombie. Don't read your Bible. But then you get in the spirit and you're like, wow, this is cool. That's what it tells us to do is live in the spirit, in the charisma. Therefore, since also see yourselves as dead to sin and alive to Christ. So what do we do? How do we respond? Enter into the new life, Christian, and live from that life. Jesus bought you a new life, man. He bought you a new life, not in philosophy, but in experience. Ah, that'll shift you, is when the church goes from a philosophical understanding. Yes, all things are new in Christ. Hallelujah. Ho, 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 ho. Behold, all things are new, brother. That's how we treat this stuff. Like it's poems. I'm not interested in poems. Jesus, Jesus didn't, it's not a, he, this isn't Longfellow. You, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Walt Whitman. This isn't Walt Whitman. This is reality. It's not, a, it's not a philosophy, it's a reality. It can be understood philosophically, but it's to be experienced relationally. He's a living God. He's not the God of the dead, he's the God of the living. Step into the Spirit. It's yours by right of inheritance. He's always there in their darkest moment. You don't know what I've done. It has nothing to do with you. You, Jesus will come upon you. There was a guy's name. Anybody ever heard of Lonnie Frisbee? Anybody heard of Lonnie Frisbee? Two of you? Lonnie Frisbee. I don't know why I'm on a Jesus revival. Maybe we're calling that forth in Jesus' name. We're summoning, summoning forth that which is of old to come into the now in a new way. Lonnie Frisbee was a guy who was big movement in the Jesus movement, right? Reached out to many people in the Jesus movement. Very well known with that. But he had a a dark secret. He struggled with homosexuality. Lonnie was broken, was abused, had a lot of different things going on in his life. The church exiled him. I'll tell you, you guys want to hear two stories off this? uh, No? Nobody wants to hear it? All right. All right, I'll close with this and we're going to pray. All right, so I'll give you these stories and then we'll pray couple of things happened, couple of churches. One, one group I was a part of, I wasn't a part of when Lonnie was around, but I was a part of this in the latter days. They pretty much exiled Lonnie. They wanted nothing to do with Lonnie. They didn't know how to minister to his brokenness and how to reconcile the brokenness that was going on in his heart, right? Lonnie wasn't like, I'm here, I'm queer, get used to it. That wasn't his, that wasn't, that wasn't his attitude. His attitude was, I have an issue, I have a struggle, and I don't know how to deal with it. And the church was inept at dealing with it. The way the church deals with it, here's verses Here's some counseling, go and do that. They didn't understand that there was brokenness and there was trauma within him and that he had a fractured identity. And it was the fracturing of his identity that was manifesting into his sexuality. Uh huh. And so that was the problem. And so, but Lonnie was ministering and people couldn't understand this. They couldn't understand that the guy would go to a gay bar on Saturday night, show up in churches on Sunday morning, call for the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit would come. And they would go, oh, he's a false prophet. He's manifesting the devil. No, he's manifesting the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit is not dependent upon Lonnie Frisbee. The love of Jesus was not predicated upon Lonnie Frisbee. (laughs) Miracles don't testify of character and miracles don't testify of doctrine. That's one of the things we teach you in the ministry school. Miracles are not testifying of the character of the person demonstrating it. Miracles are not testifying of the doctrine of the character of the person demonstrating it. Miracles are testifying of Jesus. When the Holy Spirit comes, he will testify of me, Jesus said. He's not going to say, I'll t- he will testify of your character, and whether you're of me. He will testify of your theological position and your doctrinal understanding. No, the Holy Spirit comes to testify of Jesus, and he does care about the vessel. It's irrelevant to him. The glory of Jesus, is, is insig- the, 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 the sin of the person or the brokenness of the person is insignificant compared to the glory that is Christ. That is completely irrelevant to the equation. And there was a guy... And I'll probably share this, so if you hear it in ministry school, you'll hear it again. So just, that's okay. You just act like you never heard it before. And one of the pastors was two movements that came out of the Jesus movement, two very dominant movements. If I mentioned them, you would both know, you would know them both. And the second movement, when Wani was being exiled by the first movement, the second movement he was a part of as well, decided to show him the door too. There's the door, you know, we want no part of you. And again pride because the church what the church should have said is we have no clue on how to deal with this you're broken at a level that we don't understand clearly the application of the knowledge that we have isn't working they didn't say that they put it back on the person which is the wrong thing well you just need to repent more and you need he can he has a compulsive behavior he has a reaction coming out of his brokenness because he's broken inside the temptation is a result of a the temptation and the compulsive behavior is rooted in brokenness. That's why people can't stop being compulsive, because it's not an issue of knowledge. It's an issue of compulsion. And compulsion is rooted in something else that has to be dealt with. So the second group decided to show him the door, too. And Lonnie eventually developed AIDS and he dies of AIDS. But Lonnie is sick and he has AIDS and he has no one to take care of him. No one. And the pastor of this movement, he's overseeing a large group of churches. He noticed that there was a shift in the ministry. He could just feel something wasn't right. Something wasn't going right. It was just, and he couldn't feel any. He's like, what, what's wrong here? And so he began to seek the Lord. And he asked the Lord. Oh. He said, Lord, what's wrong? And he said, the Holy Spirit told him, you have been unjust to my servant Lonnie. So he told him. The other group didn't even bother to ask. But this group, because they were more spiritually inclined... The pastor actually understands the Holy Spirit. So he began to ask the Holy Spirit, what's going on here? And he said, you want to know what's going on here? You've acted unjustly to my servant Lonnie. And he began, it's John Wimber. And John Wimber began to decide, and he told his elders, and he told his leaders, we're going to support this man. We're going to pay all of his bills, and we're going to feed him, clothe him, house him, whatever it takes, this is what we're going to do. And he goes, I don't care if any of you disagree, because the holy elite... The elders of the church who believe that they're responsible for the sanctity of the congregation. The Holy Spirit's responsible for the sanctity of the congregation, people. If it could be done externally, we'd all have it figured out. But it can't be done externally. The Holy Spirit is responsible. No holiness without the Holy Spirit. And so he did. It was very quiet and understated way. This, this knowledge of this didn't come out until decades later. John Wimber ended up passing away in the, like the 90s. And the knowledge of what John Wimber did for Lonnie Frisbee didn't come out for decades after. But it was known that John Wimber came around that and, and, and helped Lonnie. And he, why did he help him? Because the Holy Spirit said, you're unjust to him. You're unjust. We think that it's about us. It's not about us. We're not the religiously elite Christian. And people, people condemn like a guy like Lonnie because he could manifest miracles on Sunday morning after coming from the bar on Saturday night. And they go, oh, that's demonic miracles. It's so stupid, so dumb. Now I'm not advocating that lifestyle. I'm not advocating sin. I'm not advocating any of that. What I'm trying to do is give you a stark comparison between whether or not you think it's about you or not. It isn't about you. His love is not predicated upon you. If you couldn't, you can't screw this up if you tried. You are born again of an incorruptible seed. Abraham was made a covenant. He made a covenant over Abraham that was irrevocable. Abraham, when God walked the blood path, he wakes up a blood path with Abraham. Abraham's sleeping. And the promises that God made over Abraham, Abraham had nothing to do with it. He was out cold. And God said, if you'll do this, Abraham, it was an, it was, it was an unconditional covenant made with, surely in blessing, I will bless you. Surely in multiplying, I will multiply you. Why? Because I want to. Amen. That's it. No other reason other than he wants to. He loves you for no other reason other than he wants to. He has set his affections upon you. He doesn't retract them. He, you can't disappoint him. If your jacked up, screwed up life didn't disappoint him, what do you think that your, your life now as a believer, do you think that's going to disappoint? Well, I had more hope for you, Kevin. Great, one of the greatest revelations I've ever had, and I share it all the time, is when the Lord told me, I don't have any confidence in you. When he told me that, I didn't suck my thumb and go in the corner and go, Jesus doesn't have any confidence I said, what do you mean by that? He said, I have no confidence in you. Stop trying to figure it out on your own, Kevin. Partner with my spirit and go from there. Come from the wholeness of the spirit forward. Stop trying to work it out in your own strength. Understand the Holy Spirit, the power, the inheritance, the identity, and come from that place forward. Your confidence is in, in you. Your confidence is in that place. And that, friends, is the navigation. That's the renewal of the mind. That's the transformational lifestyle that's required of all believers. And that's what manifests the kingdom. Amen? All right. There you go. And with that, <laughs> let me bless you. We're out of time, like completely out of time. But let me bless you. Father, we're just so glorifying to who you are, the Lord. Nothing more beautiful and no one more beautiful, no one more special, Lord, than you. Jesus, you are the kindest person we could ever know. And may we know you. Holy Spirit, you are the most beautiful person. You just express inexpressible beauty. And you are so willing and so wanting, God, to just... Reveal this beauty to us and this wonder to us, things too wonderful for us. And Lord, we want more of that. This is what we declare. This is what we desire. This is what we hunger for. Father, we just thank you for it. I bless these people this morning. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine down upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you in every way. And may you forever live within his favor. In Jesus' name, amen. God loves you. If you didn't get that message, let me tell you one more time. God loves you. (laughs) We love you. Have a great week. Ministry schools this afternoon and uh, essentials as well.